Hi everyone, this is Steve Hargadon and welcome to the Future of Education. It is Thursday, September 10th in the U.S., Friday the 11th in Bangkok. We're sure glad to have you here tonight. It's Lucy Gray and the Global Awareness Panel. We have a terrific evening for you. It's a little bit longer than usual. We're going to go 90 minutes. Please feel free to invite your friends. This is a live show. There will be opportunities for Q&A. There's Lucy. I didn't try and put pictures of each of our panelists, but welcome to Sherry, Kim. I think Wesley's not here yet. Carol Ann, Diane, Rita, Sharon, and Michael. And I'm actually not seeing Sharon either. Well, there she is. So Sharon, I'm going to make you a moderator. There we go. Good group. Okay, if this is your first time in, oh, I keep getting ahead of myself. Uh, before I show you Illuminate, I just want to make sure you're aware of some um, events we have coming up in Galera next week, September 15th, early in the day. It's going to, from Europe, is going to give us a tour of their e-twinning program in Europe, where they have classrooms connecting with other classrooms. September 17th, Michael Horn starts a series on virtual schools. John City Brown on September 22nd. Jane Nelson, who was to have been last night, but we rescheduled because of uh, President Obama's address on health care here, but she's going to do Parenting 2.0 on Wednesday, September 23rd. Howard Rheingold and Joyce Valenza are going to go head-to-head uh, -head talking about librarians on September 20th. Howard's going to be doing a, a monthly show. It should be a lot of fun to have him here. If you haven't heard him, he's well worth talking to, and so is Joyce. Dennis Lipke on October 6th. Uh, SRI on Oh, Julian, you've left off the list. I'm sorry. We'll put you back on. SRI on October 20th. Tim Westergren from Pandora on November 3rd and Henry Jenkins on the 10th. Still looking for dates, but committed are Clay Shirky, Doc Searles, Dana Boy, Tim Magner, James Paul Gee, David Thornburg, and Esther. So we sure hope you'll join us for those. Look at conversations.net and futureofeducation.com. The show is hosted by me. I'm employed by Illuminate, and so we're supported by Illuminate and the new Learn Central social network. I encourage you to visit learncentral.org where you can hold your own free public webinars. If this is your first time at Illuminate, I wanted to show you a couple of the features here. I particularly like changing the layout. So if you go up to uh, Tools and I normally do it this way, so. Oh, it's View Layouts. Go to the Wide Layout, and I think you'll, you'll like the screen a little bit better for following the chat. If you want to raise your hand for Q&A, you do so by clicking on the hand with the green arrow up that's at the bottom of the participant box, where it says Raise Hand on that slide. There you go. Lucy's raised her hand. Okay, but do wait until we ask you to do so. Uh, but there are four little emoticons next to that hand, a smiley face, clapping hand, a frown look or confused look, and a thumbs down. You can use those at any time. So right now I'm going to clap for Lucy, pulling this all together, getting a great set of panelists. You can do the same during the show at any time that you would like. You can send messages uh, in the chat to the group. You can also send them individually to each other. But do know that the moderators see all messages, even if it appears that they're a you're sending a private message. They do appear to all of the moderators. Next to the whiteboard, where we have the quick orientation slide, are some tools. And I'm going to look for the wand with the red star at the end of it. You'll start to see that in just a second, because I'm giving you privileges to um, 
to make a change on the whiteboard. And I'm doing so because I want you to, to use that wand with a star and click on the map and let us know where you're listening from. It's fun, too, if you'd shout out in the chat, maybe a city, a country, time of day, and weather, or whatever you're inclined to tell us. Very fun to see where people are from. Kim, I'm not seeing Thailand come up yet. There we go. I guess not Thailand yet, but we'll move on. Okay, so I'm going to take away that privilege and we're going to move to the next slide. I've actually, Julene has mentioned that her name is not on this list, and you're right, Julene, it is not. So we're going to move quickly into Lucy's actual slides. I'm going to turn the time over to Lucy, who's going to give us a little bit of an overview of what's going to happen tonight. So Lucy, go ahead. Steve, we're all very excited to be here tonight, and uh, this has been a long time in coming because we, in the Global Education Collaborative website, have been trying to do uh, monthly meetings in some sort of platform. And we were using FlashMeeting for a while, and now we are hopefully using Illuminate to do some seminars, um, hopefully once a month. And uh, you kindly offered uh, to get us acquainted with Illuminate, so we're thrilled to be here. Um, just to give you guys, the people who don't know me, I'm Lucy Gray. I, am, I work for the University of Chicago at the Center for Elementary Math and Science Education, Mathematics and Science Education. Uh, we're the people, uh, my colleagues are the people who developed um, everyday math, and we do lots of other things related to math and science education uh, in Chicago and other places. So that's what I do during my day job. But my um, my passion outside of my day job is is this global education thing. And um, I'm going to scroll through here and, and show you a little bit about um, the, uh, what we're doing tonight. So anyway, this global education website or online community that I started. Um, is a place where people can come together and share projects and ideas um, on anything related to global education. And global education can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. So you'll find nonprofits in there. You'll find higher education people who are you know, doing global studies. Um, you'll see kindergarten teachers. You'll see everybody in one space. And the idea is to um, build those relationships that are necessary to carry on projects. In the course of my um, developing this website, I've met and um, heard people speak that really inspire me and who I think really know a lot about what's going on in the world. And I don't claim to do, know so much myself, but um, these people certainly do. And we first have, um, in alphabetical order, we have Sherry Albright from the Asia Society. And they're doing amazing work in so many different ways with schools and teachers and that sort of thing. So she'll tell you all about that. Then one of my earliest friends on, in the Web 2.0 world is Kim Cofino from Bangkok International School. Um, and she's just amazing, has a great blog, and I think you'll enjoy hearing what she has to say. Then of course we have Steve Harganon, who I think is a gem um, out there to facilitate all this. And uh, the next person on the list is Wesley Field, who is um, um, a tech director at a school in Sydney, Australia. And he's also an Apple Distinguished Educator 
along with me, and he's been a great friend and is doing some really cutting-edge things in his school, and I think you'll be interested in hearing what he has to say. And of course, I think many of you probably know Carol Ann McGuire of Rocker World Fame. Um, Carol Ann is doing amazing things, and, and she'll be here to tell us about what she's doing in her school and in her, um, her kind of side project, which is Rock Our World. Then we have Diane Midniff from IEARN, and IEARN is one of the more established organizations connecting teachers around projects and that sort of thing. So she really knows what she's doing and has done a lot of work um, with ISTE and with, um, with sessions at NEC and that sort of thing. So she'll talk to you about what IEARN does. Then we have Rita Oates, who is another uh, veteran of the ed educational technology world, and she works for ePals. And ePals is a free resource that I think you all will enjoy. We have Sharon Peters from Teachers Without Borders. She's a tech director in Montreal, Canada, and uh, just came back from Africa. So I can't wait to hear what she has to say about uh, technology in Africa. And then we have Julene Reed, who is another Apple Distinguished Educator. Uh, Kim is also an ADE, by the way, too. And I kind of loaded this, this group with ADEs, obviously. Um, and Julene is a tech director at St. George's School in Memphis, Tennessee. And she's involved with Polar Bears International and um, Roots and Shoots and which is Jane Goodall's organization. She'll tell you about her work and her travels. And then Mike Searson rounds up this panel and he's from Kane University in New Jersey, which is really a forward-thinking uh, institution in terms of what global education means for pre-service and in-service teachers. So he's going to talk about some of the initiatives that he has going on at his institution. Um, but I also want us to kind of uh, focus on um, today, I'm going to move to the next slide. The, the general gist is to, here's the global education link, by the way, and the links in, this, in these slides should be hyperlinked, so you can click on there and go to the website if you need to. Um, the, the, the impetus for this conversation tonight came from um, this model, which is the, the uh, learning outcomes model from the Partnership for 21st Century Skills, which is an organization that brings um, nonprofit and businesses together uh, around rethinking education in the United States. And this model um, is really important. It's something that everybody should be familiar with. And I just want to talk about it a little bit because global awareness is part of that. Um, the Partnership for 21st Century Skills still believes that core subjects are really important um, in schools today. That does not go away. Content does not go away. But infused with these content areas, are certain themes that should be woven in there. And one of them is global awareness, and that's why I wanted to focus on it today. You can see on this slide the other um, themes that also should be addressed in those content areas, but this is the one that I think is really important and not talked about enough uh, in terms of what it looks like in schools. Um, there are also other skills that are related um, that support all this. Um, in this framework, and these are things that we're striving for, and I think that educational technology and global education lend themselves to. Uh, creativity and innovation, critical thinking and problem solving, you guys can see the slides here. But those things can be done in the context of projects that we're going to talk about tonight. So um, in a nutshell, we're here to kind of to really focus on global awareness and what that means for 21st century uh, learning and teaching. Um, there's an article to kind of get you started on this that we have linked in our slides um, from um, the ASDD, and we hope that you'll take a look at that when you have some time. Uh, but right now, we're going to jump into our questions and uh, get the discussion going, okay? Um, any questions before we start? 
Lucy, were you going to do the two-minute uh, introductions? When we do a question, people will give a brief introduction about their work and what they do, and I'll, I'll switch their slides while they're talking. Okay? Perfect. All right. Um, let me pull up my questions, um, my list of people and who's doing what. Um, this is kind of like the jeopardy of global education, I guess, here. So um, my first question, um, you know, for people who are not familiar with what we're talking about and who are just delving into global education and what it means for their schools, I was hoping that uh, Rita could start us off tonight and talk to us about what, globalist, what her definition of global awareness is, uh, followed by Sherry and then Michael. Um, so just give us like a, uh, Rita, if you want to start out giving us, um, you know, a brief introduction of what, who you are, what you do, and then tell us what you think about global awareness. So Rita keeps turning her mic off, I think, accidentally. So Rita, I'm going to make sure that your mic is there, but you click on the mic button that's in the audio area to turn your mic on. It's a larger microphone icon. Can there you hear you me now? Thank yep. you so much. This is Rita Oates. I'm the VP of Education Markets at ePal, and I'm an educator by training. I'm a former high school English and journalism teacher in Kansas. I also was the ed tech director for Miami-Dade County Public Schools, which is actually the crossroads of Latin America. We call it the capital of Latin America. Um, there you can see a slide of me and my husband as we're exploring some Mayan ruins. Um, as part of ePALS. Um, real briefly on ePALS, we have members in 200 countries and territories, about 18 million students and teachers. The arrow is pointing to what would be a scroll, if this were a live page, of the schools that joined today, or the classrooms that joined today. So if you go to the website, that would be scrolling. We have trustee certification so that we have the highest standards of child safety and privacy, and we do have some free tools. Um, if you want to flip real quickly to the next slide, I'll try to go through these quickly while I answer the global question as well. Um, basically, these four parts of ePALS work together to try to help students make global awareness a part of who they are in what they practice. And the first part of this is probably the most appropriate for this group, and that is our social network of teachers that's 13 years old. Um, we try to help people find people in other countries and also provide language translation through those, those profiles. We also offer communication tools of school mail and school blogs. So those are tools that our teachers asked us to build with features that were available and also have language translation, now 35 languages, in our school mail. And then in addition, we have projects. We do not ask people to necessarily use our projects. We recommend all the wonderful projects that will be talked about here as well, and also teachers design the projects on their own. Um, and I don't know if you can flip to the next slide. Um, this is just an example on our project search page of some projects. We are a partner with National Geographic, so you will see a lot of National Geographic illustrations and content embedded in our work. And then if you go to the next slide, this is an example of um, how teachers who haven't done global collaborative work can get started. It's what I call a cake mix approach. It's real simple. You're going to do five or six emails. Here's what's going to be in each email. Here's how you get the students ready. 
And to me, it's a great way for, for us to get the large mass of teachers started so that then they can get involved in much more elaborate um, projects. But certainly, we have a few projects, and there are many, many, many other wonderful projects out there. Um, in terms of the global awareness, um, I think it's really important for kids to be aware of how other people think and what they do. And, be, and to do that, we have forums. One of the kinds of forums we have are student forums that our staff moderates. So students will write a question after they come home on Friday night at midnight and write a question like, well, what do you call your teacher in school? And there will be responses from around the world. Our moderators will then post. And on Monday morning, the child can go to school and say, did you know in Sweden they use the teacher's first name? But in Korea, they have a different way of calling the teacher. And in Mexico, it depends on if it's male or female. And the women, they use their, and it goes on and on from that kind of thing. And so those things, becoming aware of the differences and also the similarities that we have as human beings to have a better understanding of today's flat world where there's so much interaction, not just across the street, but across the globe. Um, I think is really a big part of the whole issue that we have in global awareness. And also a very important value is valuing others and what other cultures can contribute. That the culture I live in may have many things I like, but that many other cultures have many valuable things to contribute, and that my ethnocentricity is a hindrance. I need to be more ethnically, or how do I say that, ethno-inclusive as opposed to ethnocentric. So I think I've talked over 30 seconds. I'm sorry. Well, you know, I think this could kind of take on a life of its own as we progress. So you guys have so many interesting things to say. Sherry, do you want to add anything um, about global awareness that we that would uh, elaborate on what Rita said? And, and make sure you tell us a little bit about you and, and the Asia Society. Thanks, Lucy. And thanks, everybody, for being here. How exciting. Um, I'm Sherry Albright, and I'm, uh, I head up the Asia Society International Study Schools Network, which is a uh, network across the U.S. of internationally focused small schools, mostly in urban underserved communities, although some now are in rural underserved communities. And, um, and so our work at, at the Asia Society, just so you know a little bit, because sometimes our name is a misnomer. Let me just say a word about that. And then, uh, Lucy, I'd love to share our definitions in just a second. Um, so our work at the Asia Society, we're a 53-year-old not-for-profit that was created after World War II to improve Asian-American relations. And it's really about trying to find a way to create uh, a bright and shared future for Asians and Americans. And so, um, but our education division, although we do have some of an Asian focus, and we have a large Chinese language initiative, for example, and have worked with College Board on a lot of that, working on the National Chinese Language Conference, our international study schools are really about learning about the world. And so that's kind of what I'd like to talk with you about tonight, um, is our um, how we start thinking about not only global awareness, but I think we would push it to another level in our thinking, which would be around how do we um, cultivate global competence and students. And so Lucy, do you mind flipping back in the slides to those quick definitional ones? And I would just love for people to see that they're there um, and can react to them in any way they want, because this is how we would define global competence, which we think global awareness is a piece of. So we've really been wrestling with this. And this work is drawn from some work that we're doing with the Council of Chief State School Officers in Washington, D.C., um, about defining global competence. 
what in the world does that mean? Um, and so as we've been looking at that, there are four areas we've been looking at, and these are cut acrosses that we hope that any content area teacher might be able to see themselves through these lenses. These have been written primarily for secondary. We have a version we've worked on for elementary as well, but I'll show you the secondary ones tonight. If we can go to the next slide. The first one is about investigating the world, and that being um, a critical element of global confidence for students. Can they generate and explain the significance of um, globally focused researchable questions? Can they then take the next step and identify, collect, and analyze knowledge and evidence that's required to answer that, weigh and integrate and synthesize it, and then develop an argument that's compelling um, and using that evidence? So then that leads us to the second piece of it, which is, um, <coughs> excuse me, about recognizing perspectives. You don't mind clicking the next slide, Lucia. I apologize to make you do so much. The next one is about recognizing perspectives. So can students recognize their own and others' perspectives um, and be able to articulate their own on different situations or events or phenomena in the world and then explain perspectives of others that may or may not be the same or resonate with their own? And can they talk about how those ideas cut across based on cultural influences and that culture does influence that development of knowledge and, uh, and how we perceive situations and events? And then finally, can they articulate the consequences of um, what it means that some people have access to greater knowledge than others, and what does that mean for their quality of life, what does that mean, and how that influences their perspective. I'll go very quickly. The third one is around communication. Um, and if you don't mind flipping slides for me one more time, it is um, about can they communicate ideas effectively with diverse audiences. This is where our world languages comes in. Can they recognize that diverse audiences may perceive things differently, different meanings in the same information, um, that they can they use the appropriate language, both verbal and nonverbal, the appropriate behaviors to effectively communicate with diverse audiences, um, and explain how effective communication impacts understanding, and then use the appropriate technologies and media to communicate with diverse audiences as well. And then um, the very last one, if you don't mind, and then I'll shut up and open it up for the rest of our panel, that students translate um, their ideas into some sort of action and find appropriate actions to improve conditions. That they recognize they have a capacity to make a difference. This is the student self-efficacy piece. That they look for opportunities for personal and collaborative action, that they look at all the different actions they could take and what else others have been doing, and then uh, create an action plan and act creatively and innovatively. So um, these are how we're kind of wrestling with um, the definition of what is global awareness or global confidence, and I would love people's feedback on this. This is all still in draft form, so I'm going to turn the microphone back over. Thank you. For person, I'm going back between five million documents here. Um, the person, and also I had somebody else I wanted to, to kind of weigh in on this. Um, Michael, do you want to tell us from your perspective what global awareness is too? That you were also on my mind when it came to this question. Uh, thanks, Lucy. And I want to thank you and Steve for the effort you put into hosting this. I think it's a very special event. And I'm honored to participate. Uh, in describing myself, I'll to some extent answer the question. I'm the head of a newly formed school for global education and innovation at Kane University in New Jersey. And in that school, we're going to attempt to combine global awareness with 21st century learning skills. And I know with this uh, webinar, I'm speaking uh, to the converted, so you guys get it, but uh, not many beyond us really do understand it. This will be an interdisciplinary program with faculty from 
uh, not only across our campus but beyond Kane University. And we, we, for example, when we teach pre-service teachers about the value of games and simulations as learning tools, and we look at it from a global perspective, they will be in game simulation types of environments in their coursework. Uh, the students in our program will have two required internships in non-U.S. schools, one in year three in a five-year program, year three for six weeks, and year five for eight weeks. They will have required mastery of a foreign language. And throughout the program, they'll have embedded experiences with teachers and students from across the world using 21st century tools, especially those supporting social networking. The idea is that we might have a teacher, for example, in a pre-service teacher in year two who works with a group of students and uh, children in, in a Ning environment in China, and then in year three, they're actually in that very same classroom. Uh, the U.S. kid has now traveled to China. We'll have a, uh, a virtual learning community that will be required of all our students embedded throughout the five years of our program, and it will be vertically grouped so that we'll have teachers and peers from various levels and skills experiences uh, as part of that network. Uh, I would uh, briefly, uh, on the issue of global awareness and what's necessary, what's required, I'm going to, to some extent, pick off where Sherry left off and emphasize the role of uh, what I would call perspective building. It really is critical that we begin to build our perspectives about the different countries, the different experiences, the different peoples in our world. And that's why we're so committed to making sure that our students actually travel, that they engage through many of the tools that we have in our purses and pockets nowadays as they go through their academic program. I'm just going to post what I think many view as a classic. About 30 years ago, now it's hard to believe, Robert Hanvey wrote a wonderful article called An Attainable Global Perspective that has informed many of us throughout today. And in that, he talks about five dimensions that it would be required to develop along a continuum of perspective building. Uh, so we want to make sure that our students will have a very reflective program really throughout their experiences think very hard, think very deeply, reflect upon how their perspectives are changing, how they are engaging and constructing their own knowledge and experiences as they interact uh, first virtually and then face-to-face -face with students and, uh, students and teachers from across the world. Um, thank you, Mike, for that. I, I really like what you guys are saying here. Now, how, what's in it for kids? I mean, why is this important for our students? Um, what kinds of things, we've talked a lot about here about teachers and developing their perspectives, but what about kids? What is the benefit for kids um, of being, being participatory in global activities? Uh, let's start with Kim, who is working with kids in Thailand. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's Friday here in Thailand, and my name is Kim Casino. Thank you very much for having me as part of this panel. Um, I am the Middle School Technology and Learning Coordinator, previously the 21st Century Literacy Specialist at the International School of Bangkok in Thailand. And our school is an international school, which means that we have student population from all over the world, mainly servicing expat students, so children of diplomats, um, non-governmental organizations, large companies, multinationals, and we basically run an American-style curriculum here. There are different types of international schools, some that run more British-style or more Australian-style. This one is mostly um, American. 
And I think the thing for me that's really powerful about all this has been my experience living in all these different countries. I started teaching overseas in Germany. I uh, was there for five years in Munich at Munich International School. And then I moved to Malaysia, to Kuala Lumpur, where I taught at Mokhyar International School for two years. And now this is my third year here in Bangkok. And just being overseas and seeing how different everything is and understanding how to mold myself to the current culture or situation that I'm in has been such an important experience for me and such a growing process for me that it has made me realize how important it is for students. Especially, I think, the more interconnected our society becomes, no matter where you are, whether you're overseas or whether you're staying in your same teeny tiny town like mine where I grew up in with only 8,000 people, you still will have to interact with people from all different cultures all over the world. So whether you're lucky enough to be overseas and try it face to face, or whether you're doing it through technology, you still need to have these skills. And I think, um, I think the powerful thing about technology is to allow us, no matter where we are, to be able to do this kind of global interaction. And for me, that's what I think is really important for kids to teach kids, no matter where you are. Another perspective from abroad. You tell us about yourself and how, um, why this sort of thing, global projects, are important to your students in Australia. Hey everyone. Uh, well, good evening, I guess, for most of you. Um, can you just give me an indication whether you can hear me or if I'm too soft or too loud? Uh, yes, yes, good day, yes. Okay. <coughs> Radio, well, uh, I'm Wesley Field, as Lucy um, introduced me. And uh, the major projects we have, I'm actually a school, MLC school, and we've been a one-to-one -one school for 14 years. So. Um, uh, quite a lot of learning in that sort of area and we can talk about that at some other time. But the global aspect of what we do is really a project called Scollaborate uh, with, a, with a K as you can see in the uh, name there. Uh, and Scollaborate is about schools getting together, schools collaborating. Um, we actually now have schools and education related organisations getting together to um, talk about aspects of global awareness, to understand each other and to really experiment in this this area, how do schools work together and how do kids work together um, online or in virtual worlds um, and what outcomes can we produce. So we started with that idea, we've now got over 40 schools and uh, education related organisations participating, uh, lots of online units have been developed from all over the world and it's very interesting now we're starting to get kids at our school doing uh, Japanese units created by Japanese kids. Uh, so uh, quite an interesting take on that one. Uh, now to answer this question, what uh, do kids get out of this? Well, I think there's plenty of uh, research going along uh, around saying uh, that kids aren't engaged with uh, schools from the old industrial age. So we have to start looking at, at ways to engage them. And we know that uh, virtual worlds and gaming environments engage kids, but do we know how to use them in an educational, rigorous sense? Uh, and that's what we're going to start doing. Now the only way we're going to find that out is by dipping our toes in the water and having a go and, and that's what we're trying to do. Businesses are starting to uh, ask for different skills and certainly the, the skills that have been taught in the past may not be the skills of the future. So businesses now are about getting answers and it amuses me in tests how we ban computers and ban Google and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and get upset with Facebook being open. Whereas in our school where we've only banned porn, 
if a, a student can't get a response, the first thing they do is jump on Facebook or something, ask one of their friends, they socially network to find out the response. Now if I was in a business, um, I, I can't imagine any business that would say, don't use all the tools available to you to get a response, to get an answer uh, to the, the problem that you've got in front of you. So they, they need to be networkers, they need to collaborate, uh, they need people skills and they need understanding, so global understanding. Certainly there's a shift, um, America's been in a pretty great position for the last long time, as well as England, about um, influencing the world. Well the influence is shifting now towards Asia and it's particularly obvious to us in Australia because they're just above us. Uh, so we need to start to become aware of different takes and to illustrate the point, uh, an activity that happened in Scalabrae, I'll just uh, quickly mention a debate we had where a UK kid put up um, a freedom of speech activity and there was uh, lots of problems with it because he actually used, uh, I won't name the country, but he used another country's national icon to talk about the lack of freedom of speech that they allowed in their country and he really put negative uh, messages on their national icon. Um, and because we're a values-based project, uh, the kids quickly identified that, well, that wasn't very inclusive, uh, wasn't very respectful, uh, so let's look at what you were trying to do and how can we do it in a better way. And we had this debate about freedom of speech. A couple of interesting things came about. Uh, one of the kids said, well, if, if you uh, blame that other country and say they're the terrible ones that ban freedom of speech, etc., then really what you're doing is avoiding it through your own country's point of view. So perhaps you should look in your own country first and then compare that to other countries. And that way you're not picking on one country and shirking the responsibility. Uh, so that was an interesting thing. But perhaps the most interesting thing came out of it for me was from a, a student in Japan who said, uh, you, what you have to remember is that you are, a lot of you are Western schools and, and you hold freedom of speech at the top pillar of your society. Um, so freedom of speech is the most important thing and you'll defend that to the death. But in a lot of Asian cultures, the, the top level is social cohesion. And if you want social cohesion, then sometimes freedom of speech has to be sacrificed. Now I'm not saying whether that's good or bad, it's just different. Uh, but that comment from that student was just eye-opening and amazing and it just stopped everyone in their tracks and we suddenly realised, hey, there's a different perspective out there. So I think it's incredibly important that kids start to understand that there is a different viewpoint from their own world and they start to develop the skills that businesses need like networking, collaboration and people skills. Thank you. I've always been so impressed with Wesley's work at MLC and how forward-thinking um, he and his, his lead administrator have been around these issues. And it, what comes to mind right now for me is, uh, you know, what happened this past week with, in the United States, I don't, if, you're not, if you're from outside the country, you may not realize it, but um, the president, uh, President Obama wanted to address our students and uh, give them a speech about, uh, a talk about doing well in school and applying themselves and that sort of thing. It was not politically generated. and um, the reactions to it were so alarming um, by people who didn't want their kids to hear our president. And so it goes back to the freedom of speech thing and it also goes into, um, it, it, it makes me realize that it's, we're, 
we're at a juncture in our society where we need these, this kind of conversation going on with our kids even more. And the, the only way that they're going to learn this is through experience. And we have to provide those experiences for kids. And you know, I'll get off my soapbox. But, you know, whether, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, um, I think kids still need to learn these critical thinking skills. So with that, that all said, um, let's move on to what are the benefits for teachers? We've talked a little bit about that, but does anybody want to elaborate on that? Um, specifically, Michael, Diane, Sharon, do you want to jump in here and talk about, any one of you want to talk about um, what are the benefits to teachers? Why, what, what, how, what does this do for teachers that you've worked with and that you've seen? Well, I think to some extent uh, that's a, a more complex question than it may seem to be. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the intrinsic value about how we uh, better prepare students for 21st century environments. Uh, we, we better prepare them for the new workforce and all of that. Everybody who's participating or listening to this webinar gets that. And, and teachers who value global education will quickly understand that. What I would challenge everybody who's participating in this dialogue is to help us create an environment where that truly is valued by the structures within which teachers operate. So often in the work I do, it can be in 21st century skills, it can be global education. I find teachers who are confronted by the day-to-day -day realities of their schools. Uh, in the US, at least, they're stressed by standardized test scores, prescribed curriculum, and all of that. And what I don't want to see happen, happen to global education, which happens to so many of the initiatives that I work on, and I'm sure this is true with many others, that it become no more than an after-school project. Gee, that's good. That sounds like a good after-school program is typically what I hear from so, so many administrators. So what I would challenge us is to help create an environment where this is officially, if you will, valued by the systems within which teachers work. Because teachers do have to worry about their tenure process, uh, about the evaluations, and ways that they can better connect that with the curriculum. And I'd love to see us support those initiatives. New Jersey, and, and, and Sherry probably knows this better than I do, we're, we're about one of 10 states now in the US that has formally adopted the Partnership for 21st Century uh, Skills. And uh, still, it's an uphill battle, even though that's the official position by our Department of Education. We struggle on a day-to-day -day basis to help teachers, even those who are committed to it, have their work valued by the administrators and the school systems within which they operate. Julian was supposed to comment on our last one about students. Julian, do you want to say anything about students and um, and teachers, and tell us a little bit about yourselves, and then we'll get Diane and um, Diane and who do I have next, Sharon, into the into the. Sure. One of the things that I was looking at in this article, the Leading for Global Competency article that we have referenced, is the statement that students could comprehend global events and create possibilities to address them. Uh, and so part of the work that I do is something that relates greatly to that. Uh, and if Lucy, if you could go to my slides now, that would be a benefit as well. Um, we talked about the, the world being flatter and that children, students today need to be globally competent. Uh, they need to have that global literacy because of all the collaboration in the workplace both now and also in the future workplace. And we've all been speaking about the outsourcing uh, and that there's more and more travel a day and more and more technology to connect us all. And so I've been very lucky in some of the work I've done that kind of addresses a little bit of a different angle here 
that is also referenced in this article that, that we've been talking about as well. And that is that students really want to make a difference. You know, the things that they're doing, we want them to be engaged and they want to feel like when they see things happening in the world, they can do something about it. So this global collaboration is building this whole this whole feeling of, you know, personal responsibility. And I love the pieces I'm hearing about taking action. It's not just, you know, hearing about it and learning it, but it's also about taking action with things. So I've worked with Dr. Jane Goodall uh, with her organization for youth entitled Roots and Shoots. Uh, and I've traveled and worked in Tanzania and Africa. And, and that really, that work with her over the past 10 or 11 years has really created in me a whole different view of the world. And through that, I've led students to Africa to do work over there and just exposing them to those different cultures. And it creates a whole different empathy and understanding. Uh, and so there's a slide that shows her organization for youth. Uh, there are some exhibits on Apple Learning Interchange that I've created that also reference Roots and Shoots and how to make a difference globally. And through Dr. Jane and the Roots and Shoots, we've worked with students in Tanzania. We've worked with Roots and Shoots leaders in Nepal. We've done things that are physical, like sending school supplies and computers and science labs, materials. We've created documentaries on child slave labor. We've done cultural exchanges. And that's also led to some work with Polar Bears International. And Polar Bears International helps us understand more about the climate changes that are taking place. And I love seeing some of the projects on some of these slides related to that, which fit right into this. And so understanding that things that students see today about climate change and problems in the world environmentally, that those are things they can collaborate on and they can really do meaningful work about that and take action and make a difference. And that authentic learning experience, I think, is really critical. Um, when you look at this article that we were we were reading, it talks about the planetary challenges we're facing, and that we have the opportunities. The good news is we have the opportunities to, to solve those challenges and to take action. So kids learn that they can really make a difference, and it makes them realize that what they do and what they learn really is important. And it really engages them, and so that's you know the, the one comment I wanted to make about why students think this is important. And how about you? Let's hear about from you. What do you think about teachers? Why, what are the benefits for teachers? Lucy, I hope you're talking to, to me. Um, this, I'm Diane Midness. I am the develop, director for professional development for IEARN. IEARN is International Education and Resource Network. We have been in business for over 20 years, 21 years now, connecting classrooms around the world, working together to make a difference and make the world a better place. Um, I, my personal background is I started off as a high school media specialist. And then, because I found out how helpful technology was for me in my education towards my master's of library science, uh, really encourage the school to, to be on top of things and get the technology in the hands of students. It was while I, we were having our first modem installed in the school, it was a 1200 baud modem, so for those of you who have been around a while know that was a long time ago. It was before the World Wide Web, uh, but it did have the internet, we did have waste and gopher and all of that. 
so this student, when he installed it, told me it was a great tool for getting resources and um, reference material for the school, but he thought we should also use it to connect our students with other students around the world. He had just happened to have been to a conference um, where Margaret Rial, who started the Learning Circles way over 20 years ago, and Al Rogers, who started Global School Net and the Threadmail System, which was one of the first communication systems many teachers had many, many years ago. Uh, so we fell right into it, and as a result, I was um, asked to work for the state of North Carolina in there. Uh, Center for International Understanding in their International School Partnership through Technology program. This is where we connected rural schools around the world with um, international schools and had been working together in projects. And this is how IEARN came into that because IEARN had 200 projects that the students could work in. Um, we. What I learned from that is that this whole process of students connecting with the world and doing authentic work that is being read by other students and being responded to and, and being respected by other students really increased the students' self-esteem. And um, people who thought that they were just in a small place, that nobody cared about them, really felt like they were important people because there were people around the world that, that did want to know about them and did care about them. And this fell through with the teachers, too. So we're talking about how does this, uh, um, how do, what is the benefit to teachers? The teachers see themselves in a new light. They see themselves as a part of a global world with all the same mission. IRON has conferences every year, international conferences. And it's very exciting when we get together with teachers from 60 different countries um, or more. Sometimes they're more. Um, and we all find that we have the same problems, we have the same concerns, and we have the same interests. So IRN is an organization of over 130 countries. Each country has its own IRN organization. I work with IRN USA. So each organization has its own organization and provides its own support and development to the teachers. And this is in their own country. This is the strength of IEARN in, in that there is local support for them. They have local uh, conferences. Uh, they have someone who can help them get started. Um, we have over 200 projects. These are divine, designed by students, and they're designed by teachers. A couple of them, we are membership organizations, so it does cost in the United States. It's a minimal, minimal cost for membership. Uh, we do have several projects, though, that others can join. So I, I think I just, whoops, I didn't copy what I meant to, so I'll send it in just a minute. I'll, I'll put in the link, some of the links to some of these projects. We have the Pearl World Youth News, and the, uh, which is a project with the Pearl, Daniel Pearl Foundation, where students take a course. They have four lessons in the course, and they become 
certified reporters. There is a, a web page where their reports are put up after they have been edited by student editors. And these are open for school newspapers around the world to put them in their school publications. Today we just got exciting news that we found we signed a memorandum of understanding with the um, the night the hour news the Lara report the Jim Lara report and they are going to use our pearl reporters to put a youth perspective on their news reports so we're really excited about this it started off being mostly just photo essays and and regular text reports but now we are going in more to video reporting also. Another project that we have that we're working with the, uh, Channel 13, the PBS affiliate in New York City is our footprints, our future. We have designed a youth carbon footprint calculator that is very international. One of the options, one of the questions they're asked is how do you get to school and rather than uh, it has the school bus, it has public transportation, it has walking and bicycles, but it also has rickshaws and boats and donkeys as an option for students. So these are two projects that are open to anyone. We welcome to them to join. Our Footprints, Our Future does have a forum, so once the students calculate their student, uh, their carbon footprint, they can compare it with other countries, they compare it with other schools, boys against girls, different age groups, and there uh, is the discussion forum for them to read how others are, are planning to lower their carbon footprint and they can share how they are going to lower theirs. We do have a teacher's guide to international collaboration. We were asked to do this, put this together by the Department of Education 10 years ago, uh, so it is quite a dated uh, document. Um, they let us revise it five years ago, so that means it's still a very dated document. But we are hoping that uh, we will be able to update it soon. We've had some very exciting conversations with the Department of Ed um, in the last several weeks. Uh, President Obama, when he made his speech in Cairo, commented on the Kansas to Cairo connection and said that he would like to have um, every school in the United States have some kind of connection, international connection. And there is actually some progress that follows through on this. So look forward to some news. I think we will hear some exciting thing where all of these, all of you that are here that are in organizations can be very, uh, very involved. Um, we haven't seen much of our director because he has been in Washington a lot with conversations. So this is exciting. Um, so I'm going to, I'm still trying to put up these uh, things. Oh, there they go. I probably put them up 10 times. I'm sorry. Uh, the links to these connections. I also wanted to share another great resource that I've enjoyed and I share with all of our teachers, and that's the Oxfam Education for Global Citizen. If uh, you go to the Oxfam um, 
education link. You will find great resources to use. They've got whiteboard resources you can download and use. Great resources, but they do have a guide for the Education for Global Citizenship, which I think is just really great and is something that all of our schools can use. So back to the question, what do teachers get out of this? Uh, they get personal satisfaction. They can easily find ways that they can bring the world into the curriculum that they need to teach. They can get students excited about uh, collaborating and learning with others. Uh, a lot of one of the 21st century goals is is media literacy. They learn to look at the media much more critically. They pay much more attention to the media and, and what is the news that's going on. We had a, a collaboration with the school in Sosnovibor, Russia. It's where there is a nuclear plant that is supposedly going to be the next Chernobyl. And they did have a nuclear leak. I went to school at 7 o'clock in the morning and had a group of students waiting for me. Have you heard from them? Have you heard from them? They had listened to the news that morning and they really got involved with it. So um, there's all of this that can, can be um, brought into the classroom and make learning very real for students. I, I guess that's all I have for now. I'll just jump in right here. Uh, I hope you can all hear me. I'm just checking my audio. I think this is the first time I'm talking. This is Sharon Peters uh, from Montreal. Uh, I'm, I guess, the Canadian representative of, of uh, those of us who are moderating tonight. And uh, really good to be here. What a lineup. I'm a little nervous um, being in this company uh, with, uh, with so many very much experienced and much more experienced global educators. Uh, I'm a director of technology at a private school here in Montreal, um, an independent school. Uh, I also have the privilege of being a teacher of the future with the uh, National Association of Independent Schools this year and really want to focus on uh, global education and global and social issues. Um, I also belong to an organization called Teachers Without Borders Canada. And uh, Teachers Without Borders was started a few years ago. And I see Noble Kelly is with us tonight in the, uh, the chat room. Noble just returned from Africa the other day. He's the president and founder of PWB Canada. Uh, we were there in July and August in South Africa and Kenya with uh, three different teams. Um, we, uh, that's our second time to Africa. We were there in July and August of uh, 08 as well in both those countries. Uh, this year I had the privilege of being um, an ICT team leader. I was a team leader of the uh, TWB team that was specifically bringing computer skills to teachers in both those countries. And we worked in uh, the townships of Cape Town. So uh, this is a very much a grassroots organization uh, where we're working with real teachers on the ground. Um, and then in very rural Kenya, we were, we were in two different locations in Kenya this year. And um, it was a pleasure to return to one of the areas where we had delivered workshops last year. And I should say that our organization works with teachers. We provide and facilitate uh, professional development workshops for teachers in developing nations and work shoulder to shoulder with them and, uh, and try to uh, grow professional learning communities 
over a four-year cycle period um, and uh, essentially pass back uh, the professional development uh, to the teachers when we can leave an area. So we were there for the second time and were able to use Kenyan facilitators on our team to deliver workshops this year. And it was such a, an amazing privilege to, uh, to see how much these teachers had grown with the, the you know, one week uh, set of workshops we had given them the year before, but how they had taken so many of the um, ideas that we had shared or um, uh, pedagogies we had shared, methodologies, and had brought them to our classrooms and with great success stories. Um, and as you can imagine, in, in the classrooms of uh, both South Africa and Kenya, you get at least uh, you know 50 plus learners, students in every classroom, sometimes approaching as many as 100. So it was uh, quite a privilege for me to be in about four different locations in those countries um, over July and August and rub shoulders not just with the teachers but also with their learners and students and have the opportunity to visit many schools there. How does that impact my teaching? It's impacted it greatly. I, I had uh, happened since 2003 uh, been involved with um, uh, global collaborative projects and have picked up a couple of awards with my students along the way uh, for that uh, from MISTI and other places. Um, have always worked more or less with developed uh, nations with my projects until my um, my interactions and my um, my visits to to Kenya and South Africa and, and now have a stronger focus you could say on on um, making collaboration between classes. Uh, in developing nations, and I, I see there's a very big gap between um, the haves and the have-nots in the world. We're still dealing very much with an education divide. So how are teachers, what are the benefits to teachers? Well, um, I would like to say that they are empowered. And I, I felt very much empowered uh, by the rubbing of shoulders that I had with my colleagues around the world, um, not just in Africa, but um, in, in from Israel, New Zealand, Australia. Uh, Kuwait, um, you know, England, uh, United States, you know, so many of the countries that I've had a chance to uh, to work with on extended projects and and with my students as well. Um, that sense of empowerment that we are making a difference in the world, um, that we have the ability to improve our teaching. And, and don't have to rely on someone else for our professional development, that we are self-motivated in that. Um, through improved skills along the way, um, you know, when you are using technology as a tool to connect with another classroom somewhere, you learn how to use that technology very thoroughly so that you can troubleshoot when those problems come up and so that uh, your skills can improve in that. And I would say even improved career opportunities because once you've been in a, a classroom um, exchange project, um, and, and have that growth experience professionally and learn the tools, you are really very much enhancing your own job opportunities and, and certainly have seen that. Um, you know, I've learned about crossing cultures and seeing the world through a different lens and improved my own critical thinking skills. I, you know, I believe we learn through a relationship and um, as a, a teacher in the classroom right on the ground every day, um, each one of us, we communicate our own interests and our passions. We, we can't help but do that if we're in the classroom, if we do have those relationships with our students. And so that, that does come through. And uh, it very much has come through and impacted uh, both my teaching and, and my relationships with my students and, um, and with uh, my students learning along the way. So that's, uh, that's what I want to, uh, to share. And I'm going to pass it on very quickly to our next um, uh, next speaker. This is Carol Ann. My name is uh, Carol Ann, and I am really thankful that 
we could get together with this group of teachers because, wow, what an amazing opportunity to just talk about global awareness because it's something that really does need to be talked about. I'm a classroom teacher and a uh, technology integration specialist at a private school. I also, at my side job, run an international project called Rock Our World. And Rock Our World is a project that connects kids on every continent and we base it on music. So when I first came into this, I didn't know whether or not we would all speak the same language. So I knew that music would be a language that we could all speak. And so we work it around GarageBand and everybody starts 30 seconds of drums and that drum rotates and we have the bass guitar and by the time we're done, we have collaborated a song that has touched every continent and all kids from all walks of life. Um, we've done a round with NASA and learned about the sun where we did solar experiments all around the world, which was great fun when we uh, saw how the sun is brighter in certain countries and ha had to race a solar car, did digital storytelling with uh, the American Film Institute. And this last summer we got to work with an uh, actor named Will Smith and he introduced us to this topic of tolerance. And we got together eight classrooms and talked with him about tolerance and how kids can help each other through this process of being tolerant with each other. And so this whole next round where we start off, actually the applications close tomorrow, so if you are still interested in uh, applying for this round, the applications are still up. We, uh, yes, it is free, and free is my favorite word. <laughs> and uh, we are, we're working on tolerance. So the big idea is the essential, essential question for the entire group is how do we develop tolerance in the hearts of children around the world? And the challenge is to inspire our kids to be tolerant of each other and other cultures. And together we're going to work on some projects and have a conference call. And at the end, Apple donates a webcast where we celebrate what good is happening in education online and we bring in every one of these countries all together into one place and really celebrate what has happened great. And uh, that's our, my uh, website is up there also with our the, the Ning that we have to start off the conversation between teachers around the world and students on the topic of tolerance as well as the slide, that's the red slide, has the application for the next round. How have your students responded um, to the projects that you've done in Rock Our World? What has been the benefit for them? What are there any anecdotes that have really um, struck home with you about how your kids have responded to all this? That's a great question. And I, I was telling my husband that I really wish my kids were here right now so they could answer this question for you because I think it's <laughs> sometimes more powerful coming from the heart of a child than from a parent. But what I have seen is this sense of developed empathy that I, you can't teach in a classroom. You just can't. Your social studies book is not going to convey empathy. And it has been an amazing experience for me. Um, as a teacher, I knew 
nothing about the world. I, I'm, I'm coming at this, I am not coming at this as a director. Uh, you know, some of these amazing people that you are hearing today are coming at this as such a different angle. I was coming at it, I've never had a passport. I had never traveled to anywhere in the States that I didn't have family. And I was a teacher learning again. We were in the classroom and looking at um, money that, you know, we did a, a, a series on money and we were looking at money from New Zealand and Australia and it has a hole in it that you can see through. And we're like, put it up to the eyesight camera, we can see it. And we were all of us, all of the kids huddled around this video screen amazed that you could see through money. And we had a series of, well we didn't, Japan had a series of earthquakes not too long ago. And our, my kids who you know, five years ago would watch the news and say, oh look, there's a big tragedy, what are we having for dinner? Came running into the classroom, running into the classroom saying, please Mrs. McGuire, can we call our kids in Japan? I want to see if they're okay, I want to see if they're okay. And it was this sense of relief when, the kid, when we got to talk with the kids in Japan and they treated an earthquake like very much like we do in Southern California. We're laughing and saying, ah, it was a 6.5, but we guessed 5.2. You know, it's like this whole game that is played. But it was like this relief that we're the same. And I think that's what's really touched my heart. I went into this whole project thinking, wow, I don't know anything about the world. I wonder how different they are in China. And I've learned that we all like chocolate and we all hate homework and we have far more similarities than differences. And it, it's important. It's important to teach our kids that. It's important to teach them communication. And these kinds of projects build that in our kids in a way that you can't do that in a classroom. Let's backtrack a little bit here. We've talked about the benefits of all of this. Let's go into the specifics. How do, and I'm, I'm going to kind of combine some of the questions that we had planned here. How do we get school uh, districts, um, schools, and individual teachers where, you know, who may be, you know, operating by themselves, how do we get them started along this global journey? Um, I put out a link earlier of Arlington Heights School District here in Illinois, which um, Joe Brennan's hometown, um, which they have a very visionary superintendent and they have this kind of um, vision statement that they've really taken to heart in what they're doing over the past couple of years. And I think, I point to this example a lot because I think every school should have something like this guiding what they're doing. And um, so anyway, I'd like to start off with, uh, let me look in my list here, who's who's up to bat here. Uh, Julene, Julene, Wesley, Sherry, Kim, um, Carol and Diane, do you guys want to just jump in here uh, quickly and add about your two cents about how any of these entities uh, can get started? I'm happy to talk about this for our marriage, Julian, again. Uh, and I think we have to convince people to kind of rethink education. One of the things that the article talks about is from the bottom up. Uh, that we are now, and I loved what someone said a minute ago about we're learning with each other and, and the teachers are learning along with the students and I think that's critical too that we're also getting our teachers globally literate as we're all following this journey. Uh, sometimes when I'm presenting to superintendents and some of the leaders, 
principals, they totally understand this, they get it. But the next question is, but what about teaching for the test for him to teach to? And what about our standards? So we really have to think about our whole educational environment. You know, are we in classrooms with walls all the time? Are we traveling the world with our students? Are we doing things that are different? Um, what are our standards and how are we assessing them? And how are how schools being held accountable? How are teachers being held accountable? What is the mission of our schools? Just all of those kinds of competencies, everything I think really you have to rethink. And someone in the chat a minute ago said it, it's not nearly as hard as, as people may think. Because once you start, the energy and excitement and enthusiasm is just flying through all of these projects. And it goes back to long ago when we had our, our projects that centered around, you know, interdisciplinary projects, but we call them different things at that time. But making it interdisciplinary about real world problems. And it's that problem based learning and that challenge based learning, those challenges we've discussed earlier. Letting kids, you know, incorporate all those challenges into the things they're doing and that's where the global comes in. And once you start it and it starts growing and the excitement grows, then it takes on a life of its own. And, and you're assessing things that are really important now. You're assessing skills that aren't from the industrial age. You're assessing skills and ways of learning that are part of life that are real and authentic today and for the future. Uh, so those are the things that come to mind with, with me is that we're really integrating it into the student work and we're making it interdisciplinary and we're making it real. I'd like to, uh, this is Diane again, I would like to chime in on that and say it's so important but also we, we've had some discussion here about having global awareness and, and making pre-service teachers uh, training them so that they are prepared to do this when they get in the classroom. But the school administrators are also very important in this. I know I would not have been able to do what I did if I had not had the support from the administrators with me. And I got that support because they saw, saw the results from the students that became motivated. And one of the very first projects I did was uh, with students in a biology class where it was figured that most of them would drop out of school and uh, they were not expected to uh, pass their end of course test, but they ended up, they were in a project, the teacher told them that they had to do their classwork, they had to, to learn what they needed to learn if they wanted to continue with the project, she didn't think they were going to do it. They revolted, they came up with a schedule, they ended up doing much, much more than either one of us, they text us both very much. Um, and they ended up all passing their end of course test and doing better than some of the school students in the more advanced classes. And this was purely motivation for them so that they could continue the work. They came back the next year and they even told the teacher that they wanted to form an after school club so that they could continue the work they were doing. So. Um, the support from administrators is important. Sharing the work that the students are doing and getting that out, that's one I know teachers are taxed so much, but we do need their stories. All of the publications need the stories from students, uh, from teachers, about how their international projects, their global awareness have changed their students and motivated their students to learn more. So um, 
all we need is more time, but again, I do want to emphasize that it is very, very important to have the administrate the um, the approval from above and the encouragement from above. And those states that have put international and the ones that Asia Society has been working for, they are so lucky because they they have this emphasis. Whenever we get inquiries from schools in North Carolina, they always say our state has a big emphasis in us having global education and we want to, to know more how we can do it. So we need to work on that level uh, a lot so that it trickles down into the classroom. Hi, this is Sherry Albright again. I just had one quick point too that I wanted to say. It's, it's a way of thinking about starting the work, but I think it's also a way of thinking about sustaining the work, which is we have to figure out how to talk about global education as not an add-on to our already very, very full plate, but as a way to teach the things we already need to teach in schools, whether it's our state standards, whether it's our district uh, curriculum. There are ways um, for us to think about how we rethink how we teach that and what vehicle we use. And so I just want to advocate for the fact that we don't add one more thing to very, very busy teachers' plates, but that we look at how we do already our busyness in a different way. Uh, Wesley again. Uh, just a, a quick spin-off on that. I think we've really got to be uh, constant advocates for change when it comes to testing. This, I travel the world all the time and I see that this is changing. We are getting our voice out there and people are hearing um, that there is a need to change the way we test. Uh, because that testing system that's out there and, and the teaching to the test idea is stopping a lot of this great work. Uh, for example, even in my own school, uh, I had a Japanese teacher who, we have a Japanese partner in Scalabrate who wanted to collaborate with our kids and talk to them, have the speakers talking, all that sort of thing. Uh, but he didn't want to do it because he wouldn't meet his test outcomes. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was bizarre that he wanted to teach uh, without using interaction with Japanese authentic speakers and people because it wouldn't allow him to get the specific formal education that he needs to get done to pass the test. So I think advocate for change. I think uh, schools must put up, study things like the Millennium Goals, the Partnership of the 21st Century, Oxfam, all of that, build it into their statements and have those up so that teachers can comment on them and say whether they agree or disagree. Now, if they disagree, say so, establish your vision, get it very, very clear. And once you're on that, then that's the bus, folks, so get on the bus or get off the bus. So if you're on the bus, it includes global education, then show me how you're doing it. It could just be one thing within the year, but start somewhere. And uh, if someone does something great in your school, get the champions up in front of everybody else and show them how it can be done, still meeting your test, and still improving learning outcomes for kids. Yeah, I'd like to add, this is Julene again, is what you just said, Wesley, about one thing a year. Start small and start with just one thing and grow it. So you can't go out and, and necessarily change the world all at once, but find one meaningful project in which the students are really excited. Start with that and then pick the right technology or the right kinds of venues to, to use to, you know, 
create actions around that project and then move forward with that. So one thing at a time. And often it's from the grassroots level up. So that's a great way to approach it as well. Along those lines here in Bangkok, because we're just one school, we kind of have a bit of flexibility to kind of um, do what we feel is right at the teacher level, which is really powerful for us. And one of the ways that we kind of are moving forward is exactly what you guys have all been saying, just working with one individual teacher and going through the curricular window, like making sure that those globally collaborative projects are based on what the curricular needs are for that teacher, for that class, for that grade level, so that they see that they are still meeting those standards that they need to meet and being able to achieve what they need to achieve, achieve for their testing, but also getting that additional benefit of collaborating globally. Um, I'm just going to put a link in the chat there, which is our kind of vision for the 21st century learner. If you're interested, you can take a look at that. I think kind of my job and uh, my colleagues Jeff and Dennis um, and our librarians kind of together work individually with either one teacher or small groups of teachers to kind of bring these projects to the forefront and become models for the rest of the school. So maybe we'll do something with one particular teacher like Chrissy Hellyer um, and then she will be an example for the rest of her grade level or the rest of the school about how powerful this tool is and we're kind of approaching it from that grassroots perspective and it might be slower than some of the amazing things that other people are talking about here um, but it's the way that we've been able to kind of move forward um, at our, our level. The other thing I think Linda mentioned in the chat is getting parents on board and that's something we've worked really hard to do here at ISB as well as have regular parent mornings where we uh, just talk to parents about the way technology is changing society and how important it is for our kids to be using these tools to interact with people from other countries even though they're physically sitting in a room with people from other countries um, and getting the parents really excited about it helps get your administrators on board as well because administrators really like to listen to parents. So that's Two cents We have about uh, 12 minutes left of this of this great conversation. I would like um, us to move into Q and A for a little bit, and then finally, maybe each person can say one sentence about what the future of global education is to wrap up. If we can do that in 12 minutes. So, uh, any questions? Do we have any questions so far? Um, so this is Steve, I but I want to jump in for a second. So uh, Caroline from Florida, you've raised your hand a couple of times and I can't tell if you thought you were clapping or if you wanted to ask a question. If you'd like to ask a question, I'm giving you the mic and you would just turn your mic button on. If you don't want to ask a question, just go ahead and click that hand with the red arrow down to turn your, your uh, raised hand off. Okay, so go ahead, Lisa. I don't think Caroline has a question. So I answer other questions. Anybody else have a question? If you have a Nobody question else? that you'd like to, to give by microphone, go ahead and click that hand with the green arrow up button to raise your hand and we'll give you my capability. Otherwise you can put a question in the chat. There were some questions early on, Lucy, that I wasn't sure got answered. Okay. Uh, okay. One of which was related to ePals and was it just for K-12, was it K-12 or just certain grade levels and ages? I believe it's K-12 answer. We try to make sure that the majority of people in our community are K-12 students or teachers. We also do have a great number of homeschool parents who want to connect their children with children other places. Many of those are homeschool parents outside the United States and in many cases the parents are of two different 
culture backgrounds and they want to get the child exposed to the, the other parent's culture. Um, in addition, we do allow teacher education programs to have, for example, elementary ed um, pre-service teachers have projects where they might pair up with other elementary ed pre-service teachers from different countries so that they're sharing what are the issues in teaching literature or what is what do you think is a good way to deal with this kind of sound or things like that. So yes, we do allow other people in besides K-12, but they've got to have an educational purpose. Uh, an another question that came up, Julene uh, mentioned, is that how do you deal with time zones in different projects? How do you work asynchronously or synchronously? What are some ways of doing that? Uh, any panelists jump in and tell us about how you deal with it? I know Wesley in particular knows. I was going to say, if Wesley can't answer this, I'd be happy to, too. This is Carolyn. Go for it, Carolyn. We deal with time zones all the time, and it is uh, a really difficult process because when you want to talk to China from California, they're on the other side. And so what we do with our kids is we meet with our kids either early in the morning or I have them, we all meet for pizza somewhere, and I just bring my laptop to either a place that has Wi-Fi or to my house, and we meet them later on at night. But as far as when we all meet at one time for our international family night, we choose a time that's best for the TV station that's filming. So for other countries, sometimes that's not a convenient time. But it is so cool to wake up the kids in Tasmania and they're still in their sleeping bags and come in and you know get on TV right in front of everybody as they're waking up. So it's 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 kind of a, a tricky schedule. We list out all of the countries and we make a chart. So we um, color code it to the hours that are reasonable and you just have to make allowances for trying to ma match up with those countries. A great, oh you said it Lucy, a great um, website is Time and Date. I use that religiously. It is a great, web, uh, great resource for teachers. Good, Wesley. On that on Europe. Very briefly, I would simply uh, add, and I think Lucy suggested this, you need to know when asynchronous tools are appropriate and uh, when synchronous tools are appropriate. So I wouldn't want to see people boxed out of some interactions because uh, they believe they can only have meaningful experiences using synchronous tools. Play with both. I will. Okay. Uh, I'm Marla. sorry. Sorry, I'll just chime in there. Um, one of the things that we've come up with over time, certainly time and date, F12 on a Mac if you've got it, your clock's up there, uh, is all great stuff. But we've come up with activities, for example, there's a party house at the moment where we're looking at risk issues, when you go partying, how do you keep safe, that sort of thing. And it's certainly nice to have the live party and people meet up uh, live and, and that's, that's something you, you really can't beat. But can you build into the activity that it will work both asynchronously and synchronously. So we have the online unit supporting the activity. They can do that in their normal schools. When you go into the party house, there's artifacts from kids all over the walls so that if I went in there and I was by myself, I would still get a sense of what kids were saying from all over the world on that topic. 
So we're trying very hard to develop activities that will work in both ways. And then when we run the events, run them at different times so that we consider the various time zones around the world. So my thing would be to um, try to try to get it so that it, it works in both situations. This is Diane, and in Iron we have most of our project work where the communication between students happens in a forum. It's been very difficult for us because we do work in so many countries and have such poor connectivity issues in some of those countries that connecting to the World Wide Web is expensive for them and it just is too much bandwidth. So we make sure that our, our projects can be delivered that the forum conversations can be received and downloaded through the old news readers, which goes back to the early technology before the World Wide Web, or the teachers can receive the, the uh, forum communications through their email. Uh, this is very important. We do have online professional development. These are courses that have teachers from around the world. This is asynchronous, but then again, some teachers do schedule um, synchronous kind of chats. Again, I always say somebody has to be in pajamas, and I've known teachers who've had sleepovers and at the school and things like that to make it possible. Um, it can work, but it's usually an enhancement to something, not the core of the, the collaboration and the communication. Five minutes left. So very quickly, I'd like panelists to jump in and say one thing about where they see the future of global education going, what we need to focus on. Anything really quick, top of your head, go. This is Carol Ann. And I, I just want to encourage the people that are in here that are wanting to start something like this in their school. That if you're in the process of starting a new project, or you want to go global, or you want to do something exciting, this, not to let somebody steal your joy or your dream, because sometimes administrators don't see things like you want them to see it. And um, it's difficult. It's a difficult way to go. And, um, but don't let somebody steal that joy, because that's, that's, an, that's an important part of being a passionate teacher. And we have seen such amazing things happen that would have never happened had I stopped. And uh, just thought that pioneer, I, the thought that came to my mind was pioneers sometimes get more than arrows in their back. So keep forging ahead and be passionate about what you like to do. This is Diane, and I just think back to I did some workshops for teachers in Taiwan and the conversations about Japan that we had earlier and how they, they're so focused on having students perform on tests and that. Well, that's just as great in Taiwan. And it was really exciting. Our, model became, our, our motto for the workshop just became, just do it. The teachers in Taiwan who had taken the leap and taken the challenge to bring this international collaboration and these projects into their classroom. Uh, encourage the others, don't listen to all of those negative things that are telling you you shouldn't or couldn't do it. They say, just do it, and you will never change how you do it. 
I'd like to also encourage teachers, particularly science teachers, who um, want to get involved in data collection. This is such a great, incredible, powerful way to get global collection of data from other places and compare and analyze that data. And when you have students everywhere else in the world who are measuring in centimeters or in liters, suddenly the whole point of why learn metric in the science class isn't an issue for American students anymore because everybody else in the world is using it. And getting real data, how much does the candy bar, your favorite candy bar weigh for a second or third grader, um, and how much does it cost? Those kinds of very real experiences can be so incredibly powerful. Julie again. Like okay, this is Julie again. I was just going to comment as well that I do think uh, a change in the way we look at education is going to take place as we travel more and more, and that it's critical that we're getting our students out traveling and we're getting our teachers out traveling, and that maybe our classrooms with the future of global education are going to be a really different kind of venue. Maybe they won't be the classrooms of today or even be the structures of today. So we really need to be thinking outside the box on what it looks like as we look at the future of global education. Rita, I want to support your point. Whenever I travel, I, I make sure I bring a classroom teacher with me. Uh, I've had teachers from uh, California come to Peru and do water sample studies, uh, from um, uh, middle schools in New Jersey uh, to Costa Rica, and a certain teacher from Australia who uh, did design pattern that, uh, work that he could bring back to his students uh, and do Second Life in their classroom. Uh, look, I'd just like to throw a bit of a, a survival uh, challenge out to you all there. If you think of the language teacher, we have a language teacher in our school who can teach Indonesian and has two students. Well, that's not sustainable. So what we need to do is uh, develop relationships with other schools where we can tap into uh, Chinese, Japanese, Taiwanese, whatever. And the, the student, the teacher at our school needs to be the person who understands how to teach languages that can tap into shared resources from a variety of schools so that they then become valuable. They'll then have 15 to 20 kids doing a pile of languages and that is sustainable. So this may not be a choice, folks. This may be a necessity. I just want to throw out a reminder about uh, you know, our, our education gap between developing and developed nations and just, um, you know, the challenge for developing nations is often monetary and economic and just to keep that in mind that in order to connect with classrooms in those places in the world and they do represent millions of students, um, that we may have to support trustworthy non-governmental organizations and agencies that are working on the ground uh, if we want to have a meaningful exchanges with, uh, with that area. So I just I have a heart for that, so I just want to put out that reminder of, of that area of the world that is a little more difficult to access. pointed that they may have technology, but what is the bandwidth? So you do have to think of other ways to connect with those people. My two cents as well. Um, I think just trying it, as everyone has said already, and start small, um, try something easy and, and see how it works, and um, make sure you start small enough that you can have a success that propels you to move forward with something else, and then start sharing that with the teachers in your school so that you can um, continue to move your school forward and, and not just kind of skyrocket on your own and, and not help everybody else kind of move forward as well. So 
That would be my perspective. And Sherry would jump in and uh, have a final word. I'm not sure if she got a chance to say anything at the end. Um, but I will say that I think the future of education is something that we've touched on a couple times tonight, and that is relationships. That um, I think everybody in this room that was chatting kind of feels connected to each other right now. And let's continue those relationships and those conversations outside of this space. It doesn't have to be in the global education, collaborative name. They could be anywhere. It could be at IRON or ePALS or wherever. Uh, but I think that we, we've got the start of something that we can grow. And I hope that some of you guys will take the next step to introduce yourselves and to work together and to plot ways of, of continuing this work. Um, so I'm just going to say from, from my perspective, I'm really grateful to these panelists who took a great deal of time to come here tonight and do this and to uh, brave the time zone differences, and it means a lot to me to to be in, to to listen to you all. And I also want to thank Steve Harganon, who's been incredibly generous with his time and his expertise and his patience um, in terms of showing me this stuff. And I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, all the wonderful people that he has lined up after this. He's got like a star-studded lineup coming in the next couple of months. So I'm going to shut up for right now and thank you once again for coming and uh, let Steve or Sherry or somebody take us out. Okay, so let's use that little clapping hand and give applause to Lucy and these great panelists. That was an amazing evening. I thought that was just terrific. Um, there was a question as to whether or not there's going to be any more uh, conversation like this, and I think, Lucy, you're planning on doing something monthly at futureofeducation.com? Yeah, uh, after October we're going to do, uh, we're going to try and continue this, and so if you have ideas, let me know. Um, but I want October to focus on curriculum. You know, what does a globally infused curriculum look like? Uh, what are some things that you can do to globalize your curriculum? Um, we could also talk about international baccalaureate curriculum or whatever, um, but if you have a, some sort of expertise in this, I'd love to hear from you. In November, I think this is appropriate for American Thanksgiving, um, I think we're going to focus on, on community service and service learning through global education projects. So for instance, that Pennies for Peace project that I posted, that would be an example of something like that. So if you want to be part of those panels, make sure that you leave me a message in the global editing or email me or whatever, and as soon as I'm done with this this week, I will try and schedule those and let you know when those will be. Um, but I'm really excited about continuing this. And if you have ideas for other themes uh, between now and next June, uh, shoot me those ideas as well. Thanks. So I personally wrote down about 10 ideas of, of additional uh, sessions to do. So I'm really excited about it. Thank you all for coming. Thanks for taking the time. Here's the schedule of things we've got coming up. Our thanks to Illuminate and Learn Central. Um, hope that you'll uh, look at Learn Central because there is a way to hold these public webinars for free there. And that's part of my passion, hoping, uh, helping you to do this. So if something occurred to you that you would like to do, please let me know and let me help you as well. So thanks for coming. Thanks for our panelists. Uh, we'll go ahead and uh, close out now. You can just close the session by uh, clicking on the X at the top right or going to File Exit. When you do so, you will see a survey uh, about tonight's session. Please do fill it out. We'd like to know how we did tonight. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great night. Okay, there's still some chat going on, at least amongst the moderators, but in order for the recording to process, we actually have to kick you out of the room. So don't rush out, but um, to kind of wrap things up, and that way we'll be able to get the recording processed.